Welcome to the IT Career Energizer podcast. For anyone who wants to build and grow a career in IT, develop and improve your strengths and skills, be inspired and motivated by the successes of others, manage your career progression, and achieve your IT career goals. And now, your host, Phil Burgess. Welcome to episode 292 of the IT Career Energizer podcast. My guest on today's show is author of Python Crash Course, the world's best-selling guide to the Python programming language, published in 2015. He is also the author of Python Flashcards for Learners of All Ages, as well as a completely non-tech book, The Road to Alaska. So it's my absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast, Eric Mathis. Good morning. Thank you for inviting me. Eric, that, that's very much a focus on on your book in the introduction. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to at the moment. Sure. I think it's really helpful to share a bit of my background overall, uh, particularly with a career focus, because my career has been quite uh, varied. So I grew up in New Hampshire, just outside of Boston. And when I went to college, I decided to focus on physics. I had a great high school chemistry teacher and I really enjoyed understanding how the world works. And uh, physics seems like the heart of that. So that's why I focus on physics. Originally, I wanted to be a particle physicist, um, but I did not want to spend a life as a student. Um, so I looked for something to do after college, and I found teaching. Um, so I ended up moving to New York City, and I started teaching science in the mid-1990s. Um, I did that for four years. And then I had read a book called A Walk Across America, and I wanted to go explore the land, um, but walking was too slow, so I decided on bicycling. And so at one point, yeah, at one point, I lived on a bicycle for 13 months. Um, and yeah, that was a point where other people were telling me to go get a master's. And I kind of thought I will learn more by going and living and traveling. Um, and I'm very glad I did that. Yeah. So th that must have been an amazing experience. So w where did you travel during that 13-month period? I started in Seattle on the West Coast, and I headed east across uh, the northern border of the U.S. and Canada, um, down the east coast of the uh, U.S., down to Florida, then over through Texas and over to California, and then all the way up to Alaska. Wow. So you pretty much did a whole a whole lap, if you like, of the, of the outside of the States. Yeah, circumnavigation of North America, kind of. Fantastic. Wow. Okay. And obviously, you've now ended up in Alaska. So how did that come about? Yeah. So I went back to New York City. I taught for three more years. I started teaching science, and then I transitioned to teaching math. Um, but after visiting Alaska on a bicycle, I realized I didn't uh, want to live in New York anymore. So I moved to Alaska. Um, I moved here in 2002, and so I taught, ended up teaching high school math and science for about 20 years. Okay, and obviously the uh, the programming side of it has obviously been something that's in in your your DNA almost by the sound of it from from what you said in, in some of the things you've written. Um, how did that come about? What 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 was the interest there? Yeah, my father was a software engineer in the. 60s and 70s. Um, so my first computing experience was learning to program in BASIC on a kit computer with a yep. keyboard without a cover, a bare CRT, to, CRT uh, monitor. 
Um, and I've just been playing with programming ever since. So I, yeah, I feel fortunate to have learned, um, been exposed to programming that young um, and that early in the personal computing movement, because uh, it kind of gives a nice foundation for all the wonderful languages that we have to work with today. Indeed, exactly. Yeah. So you, obviously, you at some point you moved into Python. Well, how did that come about? Yeah, I was the classic case in the mid 2000s of somebody programming in Java and then hearing about Python and being told that your programs will be um, one third as long as your Java programs and much cleaner. And I didn't believe it and I tried it and people were exactly right. It was great. <laughs> okay. And from, from that, you've produced a book which has been globally popular and i know if you look on amazon for example the the number of positive reviews is astounding so how did that come about yeah that is uh my mind still spins around that um i i would always teach introductory programming classes when i could fit them into our schedule at school and around 2013 i was not satisfied with the intro programming books that were available um they all made too many assumptions about what people knew, and they were written largely from a technical perspective and less from a learner-focused perspective. So I drafted what my ideal uh, version of the book that I would like to teach from and then wrote that. And so, yeah, it is overwhelmingly more successful than I ever imagined. Indeed, yes. So in terms of the actual publishing of it, did you self-publish or was it picked up by a publishing house? Um, the uh, origin story is I gave a talk at PyCon in 2013 about how the education world could benefit from open source software and not just from free software, but the whole development mindset of open source. And so Bill Pollack, um, who runs No Starch Press, was in the audience and he walked up afterwards and said, if you'd like to write a book, please submit a proposal. I didn't want to write a book because um, I had other work I wanted to do. But when I got back to my classroom, I saw my list on the wall of what I thought everybody should know about programming. And that became the table of contents for the book. Right. Okay. So it was just a natural fit from where you were at that point in time by the sound of it. Yeah, it really was. I feel like I, I had one foot solidly in the education world and one foot solidly in the programming world. And I was in a position to build on build on the introductory programming books that I had learned from. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, so Eric, can you share with us a career tip, one that the audience may not be aware of and perhaps should be? Yes, I will be impressed if you consistently get people to share just one tip. Um, the thing I that I always tell people, and I get a lot of questions from readers about uh, starting a career and making career changes, and they the message I constantly share is people are paying you to solve real world problems, not to write code or use specific tools or apply specific models. So I think people get excited when they're learning, say, if you're learning Python, uh, it's really exciting and satisfying to learn the language and be able to solve exercises that an author or somebody presents to you. Uh, but that's not what employers will pay you to do. They will pay you to present you a problem and have you figure out how to solve that. Exactly right. Yes. Yeah. If people have heard that before, it's good. You build on that. But if people have not heard that before, that is the most valuable piece of career advice that I've ever heard for programmers. It is. There, there is the danger, and particularly for people in technology, I think, that it's the, the latest shiny thing to learn. Maybe great from you, from your perspective, but it doesn't actually have value uh, or solve a problem for the business that you're actually servicing. 
Am I allowed to share one more? Yeah. All right. So the other one that, that I come back to um, comes from the fact that I've been on both sides of the interview table now. And that advice is cliche. It is know yourself. Um, so what does that cliche mean? What does it mean to know yourself in the context of a career in interviewing? Um, that has always been my focus when getting ready for an interview. And it's what I listen for when I'm part of an interview team. And so the things I think about are, what are your strongest areas of knowledge? What are your strongest skills? What tools are you most familiar with? How deep is your understanding of the ideas behind those tools? Um, what are your real world experiences? What are the limits of those experiences? Um, and last, how do you communicate? Uh, what do you do when you need help? How do you respond when others around you need help? Um, and the last piece of that is to know what you don't know. And people who are unaware of how much they don't know can be dangerous to work with. Um, so I think getting ready for interviews and thinking about careers is this kind of um, opposing mindset where you have to develop confidence and brag about yourself and boast about yourself, but also keep some humility. And so I, look for, I have looked for that every time I have uh, been on an interview committee. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? There, there's certainly a balance, isn't there, in terms of how you present yourself and, and yeah, portray what you know and, and how confident you are as opposed to being overconfident, I suppose, really, isn't it? About, you know, maybe trying to almost, over, as you say, boast about what you know. Yeah. Okay, Eric, can you tell us about your worst career moment and what you learned from that experience? Oh, it is funny to think about this. Um, the cringiest feeling that I have when I think back on career low points um, was when I interviewed for a position that I was totally unqualified for. And I didn't realize it until I was in the interview with a six-person interview uh, team. <laughs> right. So yes. That was, er that was early in my career. It was when I had just moved to Alaska. And so I was looking at teaching jobs and jobs outside of teaching for the first time. And so there was a group that wanted a data specialist. Um, and I figured since I have a math science programming background, I could probably do it. And it turned out they wanted one person to work independently and do all of their business, um, business success evaluation. And I realized immediately I did not have the experience they were looking for. Yes. It's an interesting moment because I wanted to just run away it was a phone interview. I wanted to just hang up um, and be done with it. And so, but I also wanted good relationships with these people because I just moved to a small, isolated town and I knew I'd probably see these people around. Um, so I was just really straightforward with them about where I was coming from, why I had applied for the job and asked them whether they wanted to continue with the interview. And they did. And I think that's probably because we're in a small town and maybe I was the best candidate. Um, I did not get to the job in the end, but I am very glad in retrospect to have um, finished that interview. Yes, indeed. So in terms of those relationships as well, is that something you were able to maintain after the interview? Um, you know, I've been here long enough now that I don't remember specifically, but I do remember, um, so for a little perspective, I live in Sitka, which is a, a town of 10,000 people on the side, on the edge of the Pacific on an island that's about 100 miles north-south and 20 miles east-west. So we're a giant mass of land with a tiny strip of people living on the edge of it. Um, 
and you run into everybody at some point. Um, so yes, I did run into those people and I was happy to have uh, represented my, myself well in that situation. Good. Okay, fine. So in terms of career highlight, can you maybe tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that is easy. Um, for me at this point, it's it's the overwhelming success of Python Crash Course. Yes. When I was writing it, um, you know, every first-time author is optimistic and I would say naive. I thought I would write it in the summer and revise it over the course of a school year. And I wrote the first two or three chapters in the summer and then struggled for another two and a half years to finish it. Um, so investing that much time, um, I knew it could be a decent uh, 10-year book. My vision was to create something that would be useful to people for about 10 years. Uh, but I had no idea that it would be the go-to book uh, for learning Python. And so I have received hand... My first piece of feedback was a handwritten letter from a 10-year-old kid who said, I've always been interested in programming and thank you for helping me learn it. Um, and I've gotten emails from people in their 90s who are looking for ways to keep their mind active and learn something that's always been um, they've always been curious about and everybody in between. And that is, as a teacher at heart, that is immensely satisfying. Indeed. So there's, there's always a question that I have when it comes to things like books where potentially anybody can purchase a book and, and try to learn something. So in, turn, in your mindset when you write a book, how, how do you pitch it? How do you make sure that it's as, as broadly applicable to anybody who picks it up? So, for example, you said a 10-year-old as well as somebody in their 90s. So do you have a particular method or, or way of thinking to make sure that you address to a broad audience? I do. Um, this book came out of um, frustrations I had had in trying to find a resource that I could give to my students, my students and allow them to work independently. So all the resources I could find in the early 2010s were either very technically focused, and so they basically made assumptions that you already knew something about programming, um, or they were kid-focused. And so they were so kid-focused that you couldn't respectfully give them to a high school student. So I wrote Python Crash Course not for a specific age range, but for anybody who is ready to take themselves seriously as a programmer, um, while also... Uh, respectfully making no assumptions about what they know or don't know. And so that that was my guiding principle. The other main guiding principle was, what's the least you need to know in order to do interesting um, programming projects independently? Um, so those guiding principles really helped shape and trim um, anything extra from the book. Yes. And presumably, you could, I mean, you can apply those principles to any any documentation or any book that you produce, can't you? You really can. And I think that's where I had the advantage. You know, thinking about programming books, the entire history of programming books, um, when computers were first invented, there were no books. Everybody just worked together and, and built them. So the first programming books were written by programmers for other programmers. They're basically technical documentation. Um, in the 80s and 90s, as more people had computers at home, the books got a little friendlier, but they were still written by people who were primarily programmers. So in the 2000s, 2010s, we're seeing more people with a more primary education background starting to write. And I think you're seeing more, um, I get to sound technical for a moment, but more pedagogical backing to the way books are organized. And we're seeing more learner-focused resources. 
Yeah. Yeah. That does make sense. I hope that continues to be the case as well. It certainly makes learning much easier for the majority of people anyway. It does. You know, if I can say one more thing about how satisfying that has been, um, when people learn their first programming language, it is life-changing. Um, and a lot of times people think that is from the career opportunities that it gives you, but it really just changes the way you see the world and understand what's possible. And so, yeah, that's it's tempting to start sharing specific stories that I've heard from readers. Um, but the bigger picture is people share that I didn't think I could learn to program. I started with your book. It worked. I now understand um, how people build things that seemed like magic before. Um, and that's that's life-changing in lots of different ways. Indeed. Absolutely right. Yes. Okay, Eric, can you maybe tell us the one thing that excites you about the future of the IT industry and careers in IT? I can. It's another one of these two sides of a coin thing. Um, I think it's fair to say that tech has caused some serious harm to our world over the previous decades. Um, and that seems to be coming to a head now uh, with environmental issues and political issues. Um, but that feels inevitable. Um, so my question is, how do we move forward? Uh, some people will argue for abandoning tech because of the problems it's caused, but I don't think that's realistic at all. So I see a way forward where we kind of redefine our goals for ourselves, our communities, our global community, uh, and then strive to build that world. And so IT allows people to have meaningfully sustaining individual careers, but also have the opportunity to help address some of the hardest problems that we face today. Um, and aside from that seriousness, there's plenty of areas to just have fun, music, art, games, um, and lastly, the pure intellectual joy of solving hard problems. Indeed, yeah. All good points. Okay, we're going to go into the reveal round now. We're going to find out a little bit more about you and the way you think. Are you ready for this? Yes, I am. So what first attracted you to a career in IT in general? It was that first experience of learning to program on that kit computer in my parents' basement in the late 70s. Um, I remember making a number-guessing game um, and getting up from the computer and letting my parents play and seeing it Seeing something that I created work for other people uh, was a magical experience. Yeah. And what is the best career advice you've ever received? Uh, I don't remember if this is advice or just something I learned, but the idea of making connections between the various areas that you've learned about. Uh, if you have your feet firmly planted in several different fields, you will make connections that other people will not. Uh, and that has played out numerous times in my life and... It has gotten me where I am. And what is the worst career advice you've ever received? It's weird to hear myself say this out loud, but I've been told to be quiet and do what you're told. And I've seen other people uh, be given that advice in jobs and careers. And if you do this, um, people in organizations will take advantage of you. It might save your skin at times, and we all have to do that at times, but it cannot be career advice. If you were to begin your career again in today's world, what would you do? Uh, if I had to begin again, um, I would approach things the same way by following interests uh, with a reasonable eye towards what I might do with those interests. Um, that said, um, the world is less equitable now than when I was um, growing up and building my career, starting my career. And so I think people need to be more careful looking at things like student debt issues, um, that's significant in the U.S., but I believe that's that's happening elsewhere. Um, overall, certainly this applies globally, is worker, worker exploitation trends. 
Um, and I see that from both sides. Um, if you can manage or employ people, um, if you can do anything to uh, not persist exploitative behaviors, um, that is a good thing. Very much so. And what career objectives are you currently focusing on? Uh, Python Crash Course has opened many doors, and I'm finally getting a chance to follow up on them. I left the classroom in May of 2019 uh, because su supporting Python Crash Course turned into a second job. Um, and so I could no I could not do much with it while teaching full-time. Uh, so I spent, I got one fall to decompress from working two jobs, and then COVID hit. Um, so this this spring is really the first chance I've had to start to really follow up on some of the things that have come up from Python Crash Course. So I'm focusing on making some video courses. I'd like to write a data science book, um, and I'm doing some contributing to some uh, science research around de developing a landslide monitoring system. Wow, something a bit different. Yes, I um, <clears throat> like to apply my programming skills to local issues, and we are having increasing uh, number and increasing severity of landslides in Southeast Alaska. So I'm helping to develop some data-based uh, monitoring systems. Okay. And what's the number one non-technical skill that has helped you in your career so far? <laughs> this was a fun one to think about. Uh, running in the woods with bears. <laughs> right. So I live, in, I live in Southeast Alaska. We have brown bears. Um, and when you run... If you run consistently in the woods, you will see bears. And so I think that a failing server, something like a failing server, is much less scary after encountering 30 or 40 bears in the woods alone. <laughs> yes. Um, and so my advice for other people who are not necessarily going to run with bears is to have some non-IT pursuits uh, because they provide balance and perspective for the issues that do come up in your IT work. Yeah, that's very true. Definitely. And what do you do to keep your own career energized? Boy, uh, I'm 48 now. Um, so hopefully I have decades left, but I'm well aware that I won't be here forever. So when I think about projects that I'm going to undertake, I regularly ask myself the deathbed question. When I'm lying on my deathbed, what work will I be happy and satisfied to have done? So anything that comes up in those reflections is worth committing to now. And I know we've touched on this already, but what do you do in your spare time away from technology? Oh, I enjoy time with my family, my wife and soon-to-be 10-year-old son. Um, I enjoy hiking, climbing. I'm very happy to live in a subsistence-based community, partially subsistence-based. Uh, so we, we get to fish and hunt for more of a portion of food than most people get to these days. Yes, I'm sure you do. That's, that's, that's not... Um... I suppose the majority of people would not be doing that, I wouldn't have thought, certainly not at the moment. Right. Um, and Eric, can you share with us a parting piece of career advice? Yeah, I I have paid attention to how people think about careers there for my entire life as a teacher, particularly as a high school teacher. Um, and the thing that I have stressed most consistently is that a career is more than a job. We all have periods where you have to focus on a specific job, but when you can, sit back and consider the overall decades-long career that you're trying to build for yourself. Do what you need to in order to build that career, but don't let yourself fall into the easy trap of just drifting from job to job. Yes, there's got to be some direction and purpose, isn't there? Yeah, I think I um, have certainly watched people just 
take a job that they have to, the, the one that's available, which makes sense at times, but then just kind of not think actively about what's coming next. Yep. And then you just end up drifting to the next one that comes along. Indeed. And Eric, how can we find out more about you and connect with you? Um, I am easy to find. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at E.H. Mathis, E-H-M-A-T-T-H-E-S. Uh, my email is public, um, ehmathis at gmail. And I have a personal site, ehmathis.com. Um, I'm also easy to find on uh, searching. You can search Python Crash Course, Eric Mathis, and you will find me. Eric, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It's been great chatting with you. You're welcome. I appreciate the invitation. Hi, Phil here again. Just a final few words from me. Firstly, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their career tips, experiences and insights with us on the show today. As you probably know, there have been more than 200 guests on the show so far, and I'm continuing to try to attract new guests that can provide great insights to all of us. However, to enable me to do this, I need to ensure that the podcast continues to grow and reach an extended audience. And you can help me in doing this by subscribing to the show and providing a rating and review in whichever platform you listen to. Thanks again for your support. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening to the IT Career Energizer podcast. To find out more about building a successful career in IT, visit itcareerenergizer.com.